Good morning. It's not often that people start following me and going behind me, so apparently they know I need some support. My name is Dan. Good morning. Glad to welcome you here to worship this morning. Not sure if you caught it. It was subtle. But our um, song was in both English and Spanish. Um, and if you're anything like me, no, you, you don't want to be anything like me, but uh, my first words I was told, this was precognitive, were Spanish. It also should be noted, the only D I ever made in high school was in Spanish. <laughs> um, but this morning, what we're wanting to do is celebrate diversity and multiculturalism because that's what, you know, it's what God does. He's the one who created all of us. And when you look at us as a whole of mankind, we come in different languages, we come in with different traditions, we come in different colors, and diversity is what it's all about. And then it dawned on me that as I walked in, and I hadn't actually thought of this until this morning because I knew this was going to be a focal point, I think I'm representing the countries around the world in some ways because I think my clothes are either made in Peru or somewhere in Asia. Uh, the mug that I'm holding here that I just randomly picked up this morning, I checked out the bottom of it. This was made in Mexico. I drink coffee almost every morning when I come, and the coffee, I think, comes from South America often. Um, and so, in many ways, our lives are surrounded by, and we are ensconced in, diversity. And that's a wonderful thing. So in the spirit of that, this morning, as we welcome you to worship, we thought what we would do was share with you Psalm 23 in several different languages. So I will begin each verse in English, and then it will be followed by Lori, who will speak it in Spanish, and then by our own good man, who will speak in Korean, Justin, and then someone who I've come to know over the years, <laughs> my wife, Julie, who will speak it in French. So I will say a verse in English, Spanish, <coughs> Korean, French, English, you, you get it. Okay, we're good. So here we go. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. El Señor es mi pastor, nada me falta. Le Seigneur est mon berger, je ne manquerai de rien. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. En verdes pastos me hace descansar. Junto a tranquilas aguas me conduce. Kuga nara purun chojangye nuishimyo. Shilmanhan gulga kauro indo hashinen doda. Il me met au repos dans des prés d'herbes fraîches. Il me conduit au calme près de l'eau. 
He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Me infunde nuevas fuerzas. Me guía por sendas de justicia por amor a su nombre. Il ranime mes forces. Il me guide sur la peine Parce qu'il est le berger d'Israël. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Aun si voy por valles tenebrosos, no temo peligro alguno, porque tú estás a mi lado. Tu vara de pastor me reconforta. Nega samanui umchimhan kolchagiro tanel tanelchirado hele duriowahaje anel kozun juge jukeso nawa hamke hashimira juye chipaniwa matekiga naru anui hashim naida. Même si je passe par la vallée obscure, je ne redoute aucun mal, Seigneur, car tu m'accompagnes. Tu me conduis, tu me défends, voilà ce que me rassure. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Dispones ante mí un banquete en presencia de mis enemigos. Has ungido con perfume mi cabeza. Has llenado mi copa a rebosar. Jukeso de Wonsui Mokjon eso nege sangul hepushigo kirumuro de morie purushosuni de chani nomchinaida. Face a ceux qui me volent du mal. Tu prépares un banquet pour moi. Tu m'accuilles en versant sur ma tête un peu d'huile parfumée. Tu remplis ma coupe jusqu'au bord. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. La bondad y el amor me seguirán todos los días de mi vida, y en la casa del Señor habitaré para siempre. Oui, tous les jours de ma vie, ta bonté, ta générosité, me suivront pas à pas. Seigneur, je reviendrai dans ta maison aussi longtemps que je vivrai. Join me in prayer. Father God, how wondrously diverse and creative and all-encompassing is your love, especially as we see it expressed in so many peoples and their lives and the things which round about them are an expression of your love. 
We celebrate you, we celebrate one another, and we ask that through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us reason to celebrate, embrace diversity in all of its fullness, because it ultimately reflects your presence. And we celebrate this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Words come with food. From the blinding, agonizing cry that delivers a mother's milk, to the hushed, gentle language that we search for by candlelight to arouse love across the table, we bring our inner worlds to the table on words. We discover what is funny in the world and frightening. We teach and are taught at the board. Little pitchers have big ears. We tell tales while we pass the salt. We serve up the latest with the potatoes, break the news as we're breaking bread. We spin yarns and cast spells, serving up stories until we've had our fill. But that day never comes. In every tongue, a world is delivered while food is savored. Language is a feast, sometimes served on tables in the presence of our enemies. And even there, we relish every savory syllable of shared secrets and tart retorts linger over loquacity, embellishments, and lies, while the more discerning palate satiates themselves on the complexities of stories well told and the wisdom gleaned from our brokenness and our tribulations, from our darkest valleys and deliverances, our narrow escapes, recollections and reconstructions peppered in the retelling of what is most important to us, most heart-wrenching, most hilarious, most beautiful. And by these words on every tongue, in every tongue, shared across tables, spread with the delectable expressions of love and history and culture, we stitch our lives together with others, knit our worlds together with strangers, join all languages into one expression, weaving the great bolt of fabric of what it is to be human, by which we are all robed, until the one from whom all language flows and all that was created pulls up a chair, joins us at the table, utters the word that was from the beginning, the honeyed word made flesh, the bread that fully satisfied until its pattern penetrates and permeates the weave, teaching us the unknown language sung by all creation, rinsing our garments as we swallow his red blood red wine, not merely to rid us of our stain, but to make visible every dazzling color until they blend into the great white brilliance of one multi-tongued voice raised in the universal hymn of praise. Our scripture for today is Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After this I looked, 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. Good morning. So when Jeff first asked me if I could speak on April 17th, um, I was a little surprised. Uh, and, but I, of course, I said, sure, I'll do it. And then I saw the scripture verse, and I just saw that it was Revelation. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to say about this? But then I, I read the actual passage, which was just read to us. And then I started getting really excited because it's one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture, I think, in in the entire Bible, probably. So um, I'm really excited to share with you this morning um, what what I've prepared. And so I I like words. I was an English major. I'm going to be an English teacher. So I really love digging in and figuring out what, what words mean exactly, what their specific original meaning was. So, um, so I'm going to kind of break down this verse uh, and go through, and, and sh- there's a lot of amazing resources online, and so I was able to figure out kind of what the original wording, words mean and, what, and how that adds a lot of depth to, to this passage. So, starting off... Um, So there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues. So this word multitude, it, um, as you can see, it's a huge crowd that nobody can count. And it specifically is referring to the common people. So it's just a bunch of people. And I tried to get, I, you know, searched crowds and, you know, there's tons of pictures of a bunch of people, but I liked this one because it's just a a bunch of drawing, you know, images of heads and different things. So you're imagining this huge crowd that nobody could possibly count. 
but they're people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every tongue. So the word nation, we often think, oh, that means, you know, a country, like a, an official nation. But the word comes is ethnios, ethnos, um, where we get our ethnicity word from. So it's not just a nation, you know, not just a country, but it's, it's literally every ethnicity, every, um, every, every uh, race that is distinct. And, and this word is actually, it means distinct from Israel. So it's saying every Gentile uh, nation, every Gentile race, which is significant because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the Jews thought, oh, God's just going to save us. But actually, God's plan from the very beginning was to save all people, literally every single nation. The, the word every, I looked at that word, it, it's all-inclusive. It's the widest sense of every, of all. So every single culture, every single person that you meet, that there's going to be a person from that culture represented in this, in this giant crowd, you know. Um, every t- tribe, this is talking about kind of a clan or a race um, of people um, from a common ancestor, kind of like all, all Jews and all Hebrews come from the common ancestor of Jacob. Um, all peoples. And this word people, we've heard it a lot um, when they say the people of God. It's that same word, the people of God. So um, it's referring to uh, often the chosen people of God. So Jews are included in that too. You know, the first word nation is specifically saying Gentiles, but it says peoples, and that includes the people of God, meaning the chosen people and and Christians as well. And then somebody from every tongue. And we've already heard a lot of, you know, well, not a lot, but a couple different sprinklings of different tongues this morning. So there's this huge crowd, and they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Um, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. So um, going back to the throne, I don't know when the last time you've read Revelation 4 was, but uh, the throne, I'm just going to read a little bit from it. So, okay. Um, So Revelation 4, 2, this is just backtracking a little bit so I can remind you what this throne looked like. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And then it goes on. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And and also there's a lot of elders. There's 24 elders um, surrounding it with, with the crowns, and they're throwing their crowns down at the throne. So that's the throne that this multitude is standing in front of. And then the lamb, this is jump into Revelation 5, 5, 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So there's this lamb at the center of the throne. I think we know who that is. 
Um, so yes, so that's where they're facing. And it says they were standing before them. That means they were in sight of the throne. They could see the throne and the, the someone sitting on the throne could see them. They're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands. These white robes were bright white, like the brightest white you could ever get. The only other time in scripture besides this Revelation passage here and then a little further in, the, in this passage as well that this word for white is used is in the transfiguration when Jesus' robes are transformed into these bright, white, glowing, radiant robes. So that's really interesting. Um, and they're holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. So that word for cried... When I looked it up, it literally meant like screaming, like shouting at the top of their lungs. They're shouting and yelling um, at, at the throne, towards the throne. So that's pretty crazy. Um, and what are they shouting? They are shouting, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So... I love, I like this little line. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And I, I was thinking about that a little bit. What does that mean exactly? And um, I think it, it's kind of saying that they were not the ones who, who um, got salvation for themselves. It's not, it wasn't for them to, to be saved. But the salvation really belongs to, to the one who sits on, to, on the throne and to the Lamb. And they, it was a gift from him to them. And they're just like shouting this and worshiping them. And then the chorus kind of comes in, which are the angels, all the angels standing around. And um, they say, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Um, so I, I read a commentary about this, and they talked about how this, this sevenfold blessing is basically, um, it, it, it's a symbol of divine completeness, because there's seven, seven blessings. It's, it just means it's totally com complete, and it's perfect that way. And then it, they kind of bookend this, this blessing with amen and amen, which means truly. So they're saying, yes, you know, truly. God is all these things. He's worthy of all these things. And then they end it with amen again. He is truly that way. And, and they're literally falling before God as they're saying this and worshiping him. Um, it's quite an image. So at this point, uh, the, um, the seer of all this, John, who's writing the revelation, um, is wondering... What is going on? Maybe you are too. Like, what are, who are all these people? What, what is this crowd? What's going on? And this is when an elder comes up to him and asks that exact same question. He kind of puts it into words for John and says, who are all these people? What are, what are they doing? And John, you know, humbly says, sir, you know, you know, it's kind of um, the word there is giving authority to the elder and saying, you're the one who knows this. And that was really interesting to me. That was kind of funny at first because I was like, is the elder just showing off, like asking a question so he can answer it? <laughs> but um, but I, you know, I was reading a commentary about this as well, and it, uh, it, 
it's the sense of, of just God's grace. Even when we don't know what to ask, you know, he kind of answers it for us or asks it before we even, we even know what to ask, before we even know what to say. And, and so then the elder, you know, graciously explains who these people are. And these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the have come out of the tribulation, I guess it can be translated more accurately as are coming out of tribulation. It's, it's not just past tense. It's people who are coming out of the tribulation. Um, and, and the word tribulation, it literally, the root word came from this idea of being in a compressed space and being under pressure and kind of feeling like there was no escape. And so it means you're, you're being afflicted. You're being, um, uh, yeah, you're going through this tribulation and you feel like there's no escape. There's no way out. I thought that was really interesting connotation for that word because um, they have come out of it. They're here, you know, worshiping God with these white robes and palm branches, but they, they've come out of this great tribulation where they felt like there was no escape. Um, and, and they have washed their robes uh, in the blood of the Lamb. So this, this symbol of washing robes in the blood of the Lamb has been repeated a lot throughout scriptures. You know, first of all, there's the Hebrew tradition of animal sacrifice and the blood of a lamb, of a, you know, perfect, pure little lamb. Oh yeah, the word lamb here, it means a, a little lamb. It's, you know, like a baby, like a cute, you know, pure, baby, fluffy white lamb that's been slain. So, so this tradition of animal sacrifice goes way back in Hebrew culture of, you know, you have to sacrifice a lamb for, um, to, to atone for your sins. Um, and then I thought of the passage in John when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking and says, look, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. So right there, Jesus is, is being connected to this Lamb of God who's going to sacrifice and, and purify all people. So that's pretty cool. Oh, I wanted to make a note about the robes. Um, I, I, I found out that this word is, liter er, is talking about robes that are, uh, they describe them as long and flowing robes uh, that mostly like the upper class would wear in that time period, in that culture. So they're nice robes, basically. They're high quality, you know, like not your thrift store robes. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Nancy. <laughs> but yeah, so they're really nice robes. Um, yeah. And, you know, and they're, they're that same brilliant bright that Jesus's robes were when he was transfigured. And that's just amazing to me that, that how brilliant bright and pure Jesus was, that's, that's what all his people are going to be made, made to be. Um, I don't know if there's going to be literal long robes, long flowing robes in, in the kingdom, but um, I think the symbol is really powerful that, that we will be washed clean 
that all, all these people who are worshiping um, at the throne and are in sight of the throne are going to be purified through the blood of the Lamb. It's really powerful. So, going on to the next slide. Um, blood of the Lamb, laundry detergent. Uh, <laughs> with soul cleansing power. Sorry, I was going to take that off and then I forgot. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so here they are. And, and what are they doing? They're before the Lamb. Or before, but, well, before the Lamb and before the throne of God. And this is really cool. They serve him day and night in his temple. So this word serve, uh, the root word... Uh, comes from literally a hired servant, but it was usually a hired servant who had some sort of technical skill, who you would hire for a particular job, a particular task. And, um, and, and then it kind of evolved and eventually came to mean, you know, serving God. When you would use that word for servant, serving, it, it meant you were serving God a deity serving a god. Jesus uses this word when he's tempted in the in the desert and and he says to the devil, "No, serve serve the Lord your God. Serve and worship the Lord your God alone." So, so these people are are serving God day and night. So this is this is 24/7 service. I love this because you know, there's no separation between okay, this is the time when I'm worshiping God and, and serving him and doing ministry, and this is the time when I'm just living life on my own. That, that doesn't exist in the kingdom. It's constant. It's every day. You know, Cal kind of made a joke this morning. He was like, how do I serve God when I'm asleep? But <laughs> I, think, I, I think there's a way that, you know, you, you live um, in God's presence day and night, and, and you don't kind of separate your normal life from your life with God. It's all together, you know, and, and at this point, these people in the kingdom, like, that's what they do. All their breathing and, and thinking and living is in service to God. And that was really challenging to me. Um, and then it says, And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over him. Maybe you heard that part in Jen's song when, he, when she talked about that. Um, so this, this is the um, same word that was used when it said the word will become flesh and dwell among us. So, you know, God came and pitched his tent on earth. Well, God's going to pitch his tent, you know, build his tabernacle over all these people. And, and this goes back to the idea when you think of the temple in ancient Jewish times, you know, the very center of the temple was where God's presence dwelled, like he was literally in, in the temple. And um, this is saying, you know, his temple is over all these people, this huge multitude that nobody can count. That's a huge temple. I don't think it's talking about a literal building. I think it's saying his presence will be over all of us. And, and will shelter us, because that's what a tent does. It, it gives shelter to people. Um, and so, so these people are living with, with, with God, with the Lamb, right there. And they're able to do that because they've been purified by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so going on to the next slide. 
So then, then the elder kind of breaks out in song a little bit. And, and this goes along with our theme that Jeff's been going over, all the songs that are in Revelation. Um, he calls it, well, Jeff calls it the hymn of promises. And it, it echoes, uh, you know, ancient prophetic scriptures. So uh, if you go back to Isaiah 49, especially verse 10, um, it, it totally goes, uh, repeats the same, these same things. These people in robes will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer beat down on them. Those, those three um, hardships that they never have to experience again. This reminded me that these people have experienced suffering. They have experienced uh, the, the tribulations of this life, really physical uh, hardships of being hungry and thirsty, of, of feeling you know, the heat of the sun. And it reminded me that suffering in this life is, is temporary. It's not, um, it's not going to last forever. Um, and it's not always something, I think it's really easy for, for me and maybe for all of us in this culture to just kind of try to avoid suffering at all costs, <laughs> you know, any little bit of suffering. And I think this passage reminded me that that's, you know, we don't have to do that. Um, God is still with us, even in the midst of the suffering. And he will get us through that tribulation and through experiencing hunger and thirst and heat. And um, the lamb, so the next verse, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a beautiful promise. So it goes back to another symbol that that's, throughout scripture, the idea of Jesus or the lamb being the shepherd that guides. And the word guide, you know, it means to lead and to teach. It's not just telling you what to do and then you do it. It's a very relational type of thing. It's where the, you know, the leader, the shepherd knows the sheep, knows the, the child and, and teaches and, and guides them step by step. And I love that image that that's what the lamb does for us. Um, the spring of living water. So spring, you know, just bubbles up continually. It doesn't dry out, typically. It shouldn't. And so, <laughs> and so the idea of this spring bubbling up continually, um, again, this is repeated. I just think, go back to the Gospels when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, I am the source. I am that spring of living water. Um, so, the word living, uh, when, when you look at it in the original language, it's like water of life is what it says, and that word life is really cool, because it's, it, it, it's twofold. It means this, like, physical life and a spiritual life. So, um, it's both present and in the future. It basically is talking about all life throughout the entire universe. Anything that has life now and will continue to have life for eternity, and that is sustained by God. And, and that's uh, the word that's used right there when it's talking about the water of life. It's, it's the kind of life that can come from God and God only. It's his self, 
It comes from God's self-existent life. And then the word wipe. God will wipe away every tear from her, their eyes. Um, that's a complete, completely obliterate. Wipe off. There's no more trace. There's no more trace of tears. No more trace of suffering. I don't even know what that will look like, honestly. It's hard to imagine, but it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, so this, this is the final hymn that is sung by the elder about these, this giant crowd from every tribe, tongue, and nation um, at, who are worshiping in front of the, in front of the throne. So um, if we can go on to the last little slide. So some questions for further reflection. Sorry, it's kind of small. I tried to make it big. I should have made it bigger. But the first, the first thing I wanted to kind of think about is how are we, both individually and as a church, breaking down boundaries based on race, class, and gender that will not exist in God's kingdom? I, I love this image of all the peoples, literally every, every people group being represented um, in front of the, the throne because it reminds me that diversity is not just a trendy thing. You know, I think in postmodern culture, um, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we gotta have, you know, on the college flyer, you gotta have one person of every race represented, you know? And, and that's like, it's a good thing. I'm not condoning that, but it's not just like, yay, diversity. It, it's something that God, values and has been part of his plan from the beginning to to bring all peoples to himself you know the the gentiles not just the jews but every single people group in the entire earth are gods and that's been part of his plan from the beginning and um and i i also that also reminded me of um in galatians i think i have it here you know this verse um, so, it's Galatians 3.26, and Paul says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and uh, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, so how, how are we living that out here? If this is a picture of the kingdom, and if our prayer is to, uh, is to ask you know, for God's kingdom to come here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, how are we living this out? How are we crossing those boundaries that you know, are put up between race, class, and gender? And, um, because they won't exist in God's kingdom which is really cool. The second one is, the second challenge question is what does it look like to live knowing that you're being washed clean and your innocence is being restored? It's just amazing to me that, that you know, at this moment, everyone is going to be completely, you know, given innocence again, completely washed clean in the blood of the lamb. And we are being washed clean right now. So how does that restored innocence change your actions um, or your perspective? How does it impact the way you live daily? 
knowing that you are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And finally, how are you serving God and the Lamb 24-7? You know, is, is there kind of like your pious, pious time of the week or your pious time of the day? Or um, are you living out your daily tasks with, with Christ at the center? And, um, and I've been challenged with that recently myself um, in our, our little spiritual formation group one of the weeks is about incarnational living and about, uh, you know, even, even when you're doing the dishes, you know, doing things that seem to have nothing to do with the kingdom, how can you uh, be present with God in those moments and, and honor God with the way you do that? So those are my challenges for you this morning. That is the scripture for this morning. And one more thing. So C.S. Lewis. Five staples. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it all up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present to us. It is the very sign of his presence. Thank you.